0: You are now listening to The Grio's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast for, by, and about Black culture. I'm your host, Panama Jackson, and we have a special guest here today I'm excited to talk to you because I feel like I've been following your career, probably not the entirety of it. Pro- I was a little young, <laughs> but... You've been in movies I love, you've been on shows I love, you have a documentary that I really enjoy that I think everybody needs to check out. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please put your digital hands together for actor, comedian, documentarian, historian, as far as I'm concerned, uh, legendary host, Guy Tori. What's going on, brother? How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for having me, man. Good to be here. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm glad you're here, too, because, you know, funny enough, you are part of two movies that I really enjoy for very different reasons. Uh, one, I don't think it's enough credit. Trippin' is one of my favorite movies, like, <laughs> ever. It's, yo, know, it's, there's so much comedy gold in that film, and I don't think enough people have seen it. I've been trying to find a more Howard shirt for years, and I can't find one That's anywhere. Um, but also, you're in American History X, which is very oh. serious, and you play one of the most, like, important roles in that film because you effectively helped change the perspective of a skinheads white supremacist right
1: it's funny because uh tripping is one that i always laugh at because it was it was such a cult classic i usually get life in american history x but tripping was a very fun project to do man when i was hitting a different girl every night
0: (laughs) (laughs) yep dude so much i i love that movie so i i literally i have the dvd i bought it on on streaming like i tell everybody to watch this movie if they can you know if they can find it because it's such a great movie anyway thank you for your contributions
1: i'm gonna have to sign a poster and send it to you then
0: oh listen i would love that you have no idea it would hang up in my house my wife would be upset but listen it's (laughs) got to go up um we're here to talk today about comedy, past, present, future, and specifically because you have a documentary that you uh, help produce that you're a part of. You're the reason why it exists called Fat Tuesdays. It's the the era of hip-hop comedy. Did I get the, the full title correct? I,
1: absolutely. I uh, created it, executive produced it, basically wrote it, and uh, and Reggie Hudlin, uh, the, the great Reggie Hudlin, directed it. I saw Chris Rock, Chris Tucker, Martin Lawrence, Jamie Foxx, Kevin Hart. Every week, sold out. It was the neighborhood. For the first time, I was able to do Black humor.
2: Man, this was really our space.
1: And uh, it's it's a good piece. It's a great piece that needed to be done. I'm
0: so glad you said that, because that's why I want to start. Why did you feel the need to create this documentary to begin with?
1: Well, you know, I created the Fat Tuesday Night back in 1995, right? And it was generally just to showcase black comedians because we weren't getting a shot uh, once the Riot and the King riots hit and once the comic theater kind of like lost its luster a little bit, was the first black comic club uh, in the country, basically, in South Central Los Angeles. But it, we weren't getting the, 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 uh, the looks from Hollywood. So I created this night at the world-famous comedy store on Sunset Boulevard to do this showcase. And I did it for like 10 years, and it went away. And then, you know, I was on the plane... Ironically, years later with Michael Blackson, and we were talking about comedy and talking about, uh, he said, man, I miss Fat Tuesdays. These young comics don't know how important that night was. And I didn't really realize it either until he said that. A light bulb went off. And I said, well, you know, I'm a hoarder, like my mom. So <laughs> uh, when I got back to L.A., I went into, you know, the crates, and I started seeing what materials I had. I, saw, I had old VHS tapes and old, you know, 3 quarter inch tapes of shows that I had shot. And I had, you know, certain literature on Fat Tuesdays that I had written notes through the years. And I started putting it together. So then I started asking people about Fat Tuesdays. And the comedians, patrons, and even, uh, you know, just fans of Fat Tuesdays and business owners who used to come were saying how much they missed it and there's nothing like it anymore. And uh, that story needs to be told. And so I started gathering all the materials and started shooting little things on myself, you know, myself with uh, a friend of mine at the time named Bishop Moore. Well, we camera guy, up and coming director. And we went and just started shooting interviews. And when I saw how important it was to comedians, I was like, wow, okay, I have something here. So I kind of worked on it underground for like nine years. And then uh, about three or four years ago, I took it to my agency's office after I put the sizzle together. The presentation for those of you who don't know what a sizzle is uh and they were like wow you've been sitting on this and the rest was history innovative artists really got behind it my agency and uh we went ham on it
0: you know one thing i really loved about it was how much history that you portrayed i mean it's about fat tuesdays but it's how you got to fat tuesdays in the first place and i so i'm not from la um i'm 43 now so i grew up largely in the deaf comedy jam era um, so I, but I didn't know anything about the L.A. comedy scene and how essential it was to creating, I mean, stars out of all these. People. Like, I'm one of those people that watches all the black movies. Like, we started <laughs> talking about tripping. Like, I, I watched the three strikes. I any anything that has, like, three black people as a starring character. I watch all those things. And it seems like a ton of them got their start in the L.A. comedy scene. So what was that like in the early 90s? And I'm assuming L.A. was kind of, like, the central point for all of this. Or I guess the late 80s, actually, the late 80s and early 90s. Like, What was that scene like for you all back then? Well,
1: I didn't start comedy until 92. That's when I moved to L.A. As a matter okay. of fact, 30 years ago this week is when I packed my little hoopty up from St. Louis, Missouri, grabbed my college roommate, Leon Whitener, wow. and, we, and, and we drove to L.A. He helped me drive to L.A., and he flew back. And, and that was 30 years ago this week, the last week of August of 1992. So the scene was kind of desolate for black comedians. You know, the, the comedy act theater, which was this this cotton club for comedy that Robin Harris, right. the great late Robin Harris made famous, was not what it used to be, because he had passed on, and the riots had happened, so it was kind of a ghost town, but at the con- on Sunset, on Sunset, it was popping. Not for blacks, though. It was popping for white comedians and Jewish comedians, and, 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 and they and they were just having a ball. Every once in a while you see, you know, a brother in there, or a sister in there every once in a while, every blue moon, so... And, and we weren't seeing any industry presence, you know, in the hood, in South Central, coming to see us. So that's what made me take the hood to Hollywood and showcase us. And, th- and th- at that time, you know, comedians that weren't, weren't in L.A., when they heard about Fat Tuesdays, and this was before social media. There was no social media. I didn't have money for, right. for advertising or any of that. So when comics, you know, would come to L.A. that weren't from L.A., they would stay an extra uh, a day. You know, like if, if they first left on Sunday or Monday, they'll stay over Tuesday. So, when they, they and I would let them do Fat Tuesdays for the comics who didn't live there. They got Car Car Blanche. And they'd go back to their city, to New York or Chicago or or, or Atlanta or Houston or Miami and be like, yo, man, guy got this black room in LA at the comic store popping. You When you go out to LA, you've got to get on. And they was talking about who was in the audience. Everybody from John Singleton, rest in peace, and Spike Lee and Denzel Washington and Prince. They'll all come. So, it was, it was a chance to be seen by your by your peers, by the Hollywood elites, and also all the agents and managers will flock to it as well.
0: Before we started recording, we kinda you know, I made a comment about like uh black comedy or or comedy in general, but you made this, you made you made sure to point out that there's there's a difference between comedy and black comedy. Oh, yeah. And I think that kinda plays all into what Fat Tuesdays was about, what what we're even talking about. So what's the difference between just black comedy and
1: Comedy. Black comedy is completely different from just regular comedy. Black comedy is, is 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 it's it's loud, and not in a bad way, but it's loud. It's emotional. It's expressive. It's bold. It's edgy. It's unfiltered. It's unapologetic. It's all of that, and and that's what we need to be, be to, to be heard. Especially back in the ni- the nineties and and before, we had to be boisterous like that because. We wanted to be heard. And Deaf Comedy Jam, which I call Moses, you know, uh, took a lot of brothers to the promised land because it put that style of comedy on the map. That's what inspired Fat Tuesdays. There would be no Fat Tuesdays without Deaf Comedy Jam. And uh, it's, but that's what black comedy is. And black comedy is different because one of the reasons why I had to create Fat Tuesdays too was because, because we weren't allowed in the white clubs, you know, uh, we could do comedy in the hood. I mean, you come in the especially in South Central Los Angeles and Inglewood and Long Beach. Right. You got you got gangbangers coming to the show, and when they come to the show, oh, they gonna heckle you. They think they're funnier than you, so they, you gotta you gotta you gotta stand your ground and not be taken out by any heckler. But then when you involve in a heckler who a gangbanger, it's it's a slippery slope because you want to kill them. I mean, not literally, but you want to kill them on stage with jokes, but not too much because you get killed in the parking lot. So many black comedians gotten beat up, stabbed, or approached after. Lightning to or shot lightning to a, a gangbanger that came to your comedy show. So, you're doing comedy on a duress, but at the comedy store in Sunset, a lot of those guys didn't come, you know, to, to, to Beverly Hills or to West Hollywood or to Hollywood because they had warrants. So, you could do comedy north of, of Wilshire Boulevard, which is kind of the Mason Dixon line for you know Hood and, and Hollywood. It, it, you could come there and not and not need that and not have that pressure. But that's what makes black comedians so aggressive. And, and 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 funnier because we had to do it with our life on the line literally a lot of times. So that's the difference between black comedy and white comedy. And and, and our, our comedy is just so black people need to laugh the most. That's why we come to comedy clubs the most. We've been through the most shit. And comedy purifies the air and, and laughter is healing, you know? Oh and so comedy heals that and take your mind off of the, the bullshit America puts us through. Or or, or what's going on in your own, you know, your own neighborhood. So that's why black comedy is so different from white comedy. And don't knock on white comedy. It's just our comedy's better.
0: I agree completely. You know, what is it like creating? I mean, you you went back to go check out all of, you know, looking at the footage and and realizing everything that that you all had done, that you had done, that you created. I mean, taking us, taking a look back. On that. Like you created a movement, you created a space that based on what I even seen it, what I saw in the documentary, like everybody came through. I mean, celebrities, regular people, celebrities, like everybody was there. Like when you take a look back on that, like what was that feeling like realizing what you created and how important it was to the culture, to the future for tons of artists, just for everybody who had an opportunity to experience it? But first of
1: all, it was it was an assignment from above. There's no way I could have done that on my own. There's doors that God opened that I had no idea was even there because I I I'd only been doing comedy for three years when I started Fat Tuesdays. Right. I started in '92 uh, doing stand-up and started Fat Tuesdays in 1995. I had never ran a business before, never hosted a comedy like my own night before. I was clueless. I was naive. I was young, but I was hungry and just wanted to help out. So you know, someone told me. You know, on one of my posts about Fat Tuesdays, I was giving all credit to, you know, the man above, and they said, look, when you do something from the heart, you know, and you do it selflessly, God will meet you there. And he definitely did that. So everybody did come to Fat Tuesdays, from icons to ex-cons. You know what I'm saying? We had from 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 hoes to regular Joes. We had, you know, from from everybody was at Fat Tuesdays, from the from the elites to, you know, people who who, who worked the door at certain places. So It didn't matter. Everybody came to laugh. And that's what made Fat Tuesday so special that you could come, you could be a regular person and sit and be in a booth behind Prince or Denzel or Magic Johnson or Shaq or Kobe. They all came to Fat Tuesdays and it was like a cookout, a black family reunion mixed with the BET awards every Tuesday night. It was was popping, man. And it was just great to, to, to perform in front of your peers. But also, have these comedians, man, who were up and coming, and the veterans who came through. You had Cedric, who was new to LA from St. Louis, already was making a name for himself. He used to come through and bless the stage. My brother, Joe Torrey, had made a name for himself already and was blessing the stage. Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock would come through. Eddie Murphy would be sitting in the audience. Richard Pryor would come through. So, you had these these giants in the audience, man, you know. And then people like Reggie Hutton, who's the director, come seeing you and like, Hey, I like your work. So it, it was, it, it was a blessing it was an assignment and I'm glad God chose me to be able to conduct this, uh, this, this chaotic, uh, beautiful symphony.
0: See, so, yeah, that's actually one of the more, one of the things I enjoyed about the doc especially was hearing like I'm watching celebrities, people that I know and love and grew up watching all the, I mean, watching Chappelle and, and Chris Tucker and all these, all these, all, all of you, Talk about the other famous people that used to come in there and be present. Like, it's just amazing. It seemed like the kind of place that everybody would have wanted to be. But interestingly, you mentioned your brother, Joe Torrey, and I think that's one of the the really interesting parts of the doc too, is for one, I didn't know anything about you all's relationship, right? I knew I knew Joe Torrey, I'm a huge Poetic Justice fan, and I knew you, a new guy, Torrey. I learned so much about you all's relationship, both from you all talking, from everybody else talking, And I kind of wonder for you, like, what was it like delving into that relationship and talking about it? And I don't know how often you all talk about your relationship. (laughs) You know, your your brother seemed like he's like that very much that 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 old guard black man where you don't really talk about the emotions too much and stuff. But I imagine y'all are family. Y'all had those conversations. Like, what's it like digging into that relationship through the guise of comedy and the things that you all were doing together, but separately in the same space? Well,
1: we don't talk about our relationship to each other. You know, we talk talk about it with our siblings and, you know, mutual friends and things like that. But, uh, you know, it was tough. I I, I knew I had to have him in the documentary. He's part of black comedy history. He's one of the pioneers of the Def Jam era. You know, he was the the host after Martin, but he was in that first season, the first couple of seasons as a performer. And you can't talk the history of black comedy, especially the era of the nineties without talking Joe Tory. Just in a hotel. Bullshit. I came in late one night. Shit. Right. So Roach sitting on my bed in the bathroom smoking a cigarette. Talking about you got some messages. You have to. And as a filmmaker, I had to do it. Personally, I didn't have to right. do a damn thing. But as a, I had, to, I had to take my personal feelings and put them to the side, and I had to put on my producer hat and 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 my filmmaker hat and say, hey. He's important to this story. And it and it'd be a crime not to have him in this documentary, regardless of how I feel about him personally. And, and he was great in it. And I didn't know it would get emotional as it did, but it, it, it did. And 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 uh Reggie was like Reggie Hudson, who directed it, did a great job. Uh little Brian Phillips, I mean, they both was just like, wow, that was gold. And it wasn't like, yeah, I'm a great actor, you know. But that wasn't acting. That was just real raw emotion that, you know, that came out. Speaking of cause you cause I, I, I bury it so deep, you know, and then at that at that at that time the suppression just it just came out at at, at that time. And uh it's it, it's 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 always tough to talk about because when someone starts off as your 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 mentor and your your you you have them on a pedestal and you know you're the reason why they're doing it because they inspired you, and then that relationship turns sour. It's painful to talk about. It's it's painful to relive. It's painful to even think about. But um, you know, uh, Reggie Hudlin, being the great you know director he is, I was I wasn't going to tell him to leave it in or take it out because he's a director. Who am I to tell the great Reggie Hudlin what to do?
0: Yeah, I I got to say it was compelling, man. Like watching it, it was really I don't know. It was something to see. Like I, if there's there's a lot to take out of the documentary obviously the history of black comics in mm-hmm. LA history of black comics right. in general uh, you know the the third the third episode is largely about like even women like understanding the role that women were able to play it and how much ensuring that women had a space to to perform right because obviously sexism is everywhere right <laughs> sexism is everywhere especially in comedy too but seeing you all's relationship, Having a space, it was. I'm just saying, it was. As somebody who grew up on both of y'all, know who y'all are, and not knowing anything about it, it was really interesting. I learned a lot, and I'm appreciative of what I learned. You no, know, a
1: lot, of, a lot of times, you know, it's taboo in the black community that we don't air our dirty laundry. You know, that's you know, black people are. Remember, right. When we are told your family business, man, I, I I give a damn about those rules. I'm going I'm, a, I'm a speak, and and I want to be transparent, and 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 I want to show people that that you know, fam, family fight. Family fight. That's just what happens when I mean, you got two, you know, brothers, 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 and and they're both A-type personalities, and then one's older and one's younger, and and you know they're both alpha males. They're gonna you're gonna bump heads. It's gonna happen, you know. And and is you deal with it?
0: Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a real quick break here, dear culture. When we come back, we're going to continue more with Guy Tori talking about Fat Tuesday's documentary. Uh, I want to talk about the culture of comedy in LA now and stand-up comedy in general, and we're going to talk about social media and how that impacts comedy. So stay tuned right here on Dear Culture.
2: The Griot Black Podcast Network is here. Everything you've been waiting for. Black Culture Amplified. Find your voice on the Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard.
0: All right, we're back here on Dear Culture. We're talking to Guy Tori, who has a documentary called Fat Tuesdays that's about Black comedians in L.A., but in the culture in general, because if there's one thing that you learn watching this doc, it's how much this, that 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 era, how much this event, how much this weekly night spawned so many careers. And and at least that's my take. That's one of my takeaways from it. How many people that I saw there went on to do amazing things and how many people showed up for this documentary, which speaks volumes about how important it was. Um, What is the, Were there okay? So Fat Tuesdays ends in two thousand five. Were there any sibling or or offspring of Fat Tuesdays after that? Did people try to build up new comedy shows or weeks or days or anything like that? What happened after?
1: First of all, I mean, the people who showed up for Fat Tuesdays was amazing because we shot during COVID. We shot during COVID when everything LA was shut down. Comedy clubs weren't weren't even open. And everybody had to get COVID tested every day that we had to do on site. We only had a limited amount of people to have on set at one time. And a lot of people were just afraid to come out. You know, we lost some people who we really wanted to interview because they were just too scared to come out because of COVID. And, and but it was a perfect time too because a lot of comedians were home. Normally they'd be traveling or on a movie set, or on a TV set, and we would have access. So because we stopped doing COVID, the comedy store was closed, so it was easy to get in the comedy store and shoot there uh, because they weren't open. And then it was easy to have access to a lot of comedians because they were home. They were grounded because of COVID. But you know, the people we didn't get, um, there's a lot of things I really wanted. But, you know, I'm a I, you know I'm a God-fearing man. My mom is a prayer warrior. Her candles she light are amazing. So I was like, look, Ma, I light them candles. And whoever I Lord, whoever you want in this documentary, you put in it. And I wanted everybody, but of course you can't have everybody. You know, you have people. You know, you have a certain lists. When somebody else writing a check, you, you kind of got you know a bunch of things you gotta you know hurdles and hoops you gotta jump through. So, I just said, Lord, whoever you want in this documentary, you put in it. Whoever you don't you don't want in it, then don't put in it. And, and I'm not. I didn't take anything personal from people who passed. It's just it wasn't their thing, and I ain't mad at them at all. I pass on some things sometimes. So um, I'm, I'm appreciative that they even got back to me. Uh, and and just appreciative, very appreciative to everybody who came through. It was like, hey, yeah, I'll help you tell this story. So uh, that was just an amazing thing to have that that love come back. I forgot the question you didn't ask me.
0: Yeah, well, well, I'm curious, what happened after after Fat Tuesdays in the, in the LA comedy scene? Or, you know, are there a bunch of other show uh, nights and things like that that people did in other places? Like, what 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 happened after?
1: So Fat Tuesdays started... A ripple effect. Fat Tuesdays was really the okay. first successful urban night, black night in a in an A room, a white comedy club, a mainstream comedy club. So when those comedians I spoke of earlier would come from Miami and and Cincinnati and Chicago and Dallas and New York and D.C., when they would come to L.A. to Fat Tuesdays and saw what I was doing there at at the comedy stores, which was a white club basically, they go back to their cities and start their own urban nights because. Uh, and Fat Tuesdays first, and then the improv started, you know, more be- I mean, uh, Freaky Mondays. That was another white club in Hollywood. And the improv is a chain, for those of you who know, have, some of y'all have improvs in, in your city or a funny bone, you know. Yeah,
0: I'm in D.C. It's we one have one of my one.
1: favorite clubs, the D.C. Improv. Oh, I love that club. But, but they started Urban Nights because the improv saw how much money they were making after modeling their night after Fat Tuesdays. And then the last Factory started Chocolate Sundays, Chris Spencer. Uh, Corey Zu Miller started uh, at the at the Improv, uh, the Freaky Monday spot, and 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 then it just started a ripple effect. So you start seeing these ur- you start seeing these urban nights popping up in white clubs all over the country, and I was happy because I'm like, now black comedians have an a room to go work out in, because sometimes you know people if you're not in the main club, especially white people, they don't ex- they don't consider you a real comedian, and that's what I got when I got to L.A. Oh, you're a comedian. Oh, when I to see you at the comedy store, the laugh factor, improv. Like I'm not. And they look at you like, oh, well, you ain't doing comedy then. If you're just in the hood, because we ain't coming there. So it was, it was cool that these other, these other nights started their night, and it wasn't a competition. I would promote the other nights, you know, Chocolate Sundays. You know, I would promote Mo Better Mondays. They never promoted me, but I didn't care. It was about the culture, it wasn't about a competition. It was about the culture, so I made sure that if people want to see comedy on a Sunday night, they go down the street to the Laugh Factory for Chocolate Sundays. If they want to see comedy on a Monday night, they go two miles uh, over to the Improv for Freaky Mondays. Now more better Mondays. Now D-Ray Mondays. So um, every week, you know, every night almost had a night. Kim Whitley and Buddy Lewis started Wednesdays Got uh, kind of Whacked Out Wednesdays on a Wednesday night. So now you had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday you know, for, for comedy in, in a rooms because the weekends they were putting up, you know, the white headliners and everything like that. But yeah, it, 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 it started a whole revolution. Now at the Comedy Store, uh, there's no Fat Tuesdays, but there's a tripping on Thursdays now, which is an urban night, which is in their smaller room, the Belly Room, where Fat Tuesday started. But there's other nights that came out the Fat Tuesdays in the, at the Comedy Store. Trippin' on Tuesdays, Jerub Tillman, who's an executive producer of uh, all, all Deaf Comedy, Started tripping on Tuesdays with my a good friend of mine who had booked in Fat Tuesdays, uh, Gooch Charles Patrick Gooch, rest in peace. Uh, he, he started tripping on Tuesdays at the comedy store on Tuesday nights, and that ran for a while. So, uh, it, it, yeah, there were there were kids and grandkids of Fat Tuesdays.
0: That's amazing, and it's it's amazing to have created something that has such a strong legacy that you have to tie things back to where it came from, and and i do think that without this documentary maybe people wouldn't even realize that right because again i'm i'm 43 grew up on a lot of these people but i didn't i didn't even know about it i wasn't in la then i never got to la until the 2000s i didn't even know anything about this and i just didn't know anything about the scene so you know from a historical standpoint i learned so much and it's going to it gives me perspective on all the things i do know now all the all the places i have been the comedians i have seen because are all they're all in the documentary talking about being there and their own futures and things like that. So,
1: and, and there's kudos so to many you. more we didn't get the chance to talk to that I wanted to talk to, but we had limited time, we had limited, you know, budget, right? And and only a, li- a limited amount of spots. But there's more. Fat Tuesdays is is a franchise, and it's not stopping just at the documentary. So those comedians who did not get a chance to be in this first, you know, season of Fat Tuesdays will definitely come to get you for the others. And what I what, what I what I love about what the fact what with the fat tuesday documentary did was it, it inspired this new generation when i go to new york and i go to other cities and the young comics man i saw your doc i had no idea og i didn't know thank you man you inspired me i'm gonna start my own comedy night and and so i'm getting that a lot and for these these, these new generations uh to see where you know comedy was and where it is today which leads us i'm sure to our next topic uh is where comedy is today, and where it's going on in the future.
0: Yeah, perfect segue because <laughs> I have a couple. I, you you can't talk comedy nowadays without talking cancel culture and social media. The way this new, like new, <laughs> a new crop of comedy. And but I, I'm curious. I mean, as look as somebody who grew up watching the the old comedy specials of the '90s and stuff like that, I remember. I still remember where I was when I saw Chris Rock's Bring the Pain the first time. Watching that with my parents was very awkward, by the way. Do you think this kind of cancel culture, I guess, do you think that's a real thing? Like, are, is, it, is it impacting the way comics do business nowadays, do you think? Fuck
1: Cancel culture. Cancel these nuts. There you go. All right, cancel that. God can cancel me. I can cancel me. My, my fan base is strong enough to, like, if y'all ain't rocking with me, not my fan base, but those who don't like something I may have said off color, then my fan base will support me. And, and here's the thing, personally, my fan base would support me. Here's the thing about cancel culture. Somebody can have a whole career. Of, you can be a fan of somebody their whole career, right? And they've done great things in the space. They've done great things for the community. They've done great things, uh, charity work and everything. And they say one thing that you don't like. You liked everything else they did for years. And the one thing that they don't, that you don't like, that that one joke or one comment that may have offended you, you want to cancel everything they've done, the whole career, the sacrifices they make, the food they put on the table for their kids. No one's perfect. We're going to say some things off color. Remember, comedians are dark, twisted, fucked up individuals. All right, we we come from dark places. Our comedy is our mask. That's our way of coping with the dark. And the pain we have on the inside, and sometimes, guess what? That darkness is going to come out. We're going. We're going to say some things off color that we may have misspoke or misstepped or whatever. But it, it happens. You've done that in your own life, just period. People, not just you, not you, but people, period. So to cancel somebody's whole career off of that, it's it's ridiculous. Especially when they're doing such great work in the community. So you stop that. You stop that that flow when they. Got, Kids defeat. You stop that flow. And, and, and pretty much we police ourselves a lot. But every once in a while, even the police fuck up. Well, I take that back all the time. Police fuck up. So 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 the whole cancer culture needs to stop. It needs to stop.
0: So do you think it's actually negatively impacting? So and I ask this question because so, for instance, you know, the Aries Spears stepped into recently with the whole his Lizzo comments and things like that. But there's and there's always this discussion kind of it's it's like a cloud. It's always present. But I always wonder if the people like is this impacting comedians or I guess artists in general in a way like you, your, your fan base, for instance, you have a you have a fan base and they've been rocking with you for however long they've you know, they attend the shows, they come to the shows. Do you think people aren't coming to your shows now that because of maybe something you may have said, or do you think people aren't coming to folk shows? Because it seems like a lot of the people that speak about it the most are are still doing fine. And maybe it's because they have a big enough fan base where it's okay. But, you know, I guess I just wonder and this is a conversation we always have about cancel culture. Like, is it a real thing or is it something we're creating by talking about it more? Like, do you see it? having an impact at shows that are being done and stuff like that?
1: Look, if, if I say something off color, and which I have, and which I probably will do, you know, I'm an emotional guy and and, and and a sensitive guy. Any comedian that tells you they're not emotional or not sensitive is a liar or or not a little bit narcissistic, they're a liar. We're all kind of narcissistic. We're all kind of emotional. We're all sensitive. A lot of us can take it and we can't dish it. I mean, we can dish it, but we can't take it. You know and, and we hide it, we mask it, but inside we hurt too, you know it's just how well you can mask it or 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 you know it it's it's you can only pretend for so long, you know in a lot of situations, so it's cancer culture man, in my humble opinion, I could be wrong are people who are jealous maybe you didn't follow your dream, maybe you hadn't figured out the gift God gave you, and you're not winning at your gift, you know and 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 now you just want to make someone else's life miserable. A lot of times when we say something off color, most of the times there's no ill intent behind it. There's no malice behind it. We just have a weird way of looking at the world. We have a twisted sense of humor. And sometimes you most times you love it, but you're not going to love it every time. I start my show off with like, look, I'm unfiltered. If you're sensitive, this ain't the show for you. I I that's those are my first words out of my mouth. Everybody's not going to like me. Everybody's not going to be a fan of Guy Tori. And that's cool. And you're not a hater. You just don't like my brand of comedy. And I'm not mad at you for that. Comedy is subjective. You know, if anybody liked my brand of comedy, I would sell out stadiums. <laughs> but I get that it's a, it's a certain, I'm in a certain niche. And, and, and if, if you haven't seen me live, you know, come see me live and check me out live. Don't go online and watch me. Most stuff I didn't put out there anyway. But come see me live and make your determination, you know, at that point. So cancel culture just needs to stop. But look, none of us are perfect. Only perfect man ever walked this earth was Jesus. And even he disobeyed his dad and his mom and went to the temple, you know, and, and, and ran off. So uh, let's just stop with this cancel culture crap, man. And, and, and I haven't given it any thoughts at all. I'm I'm the same comedian that was, with the same foul, potty, filthy, unfiltered, unapologetic mock I had in 1992, and I'm not stopping.
0: Fair enough. What is your take on the current... Social media has created what seems to be like an entire new crop of, of content creators, and I'm not even sure they'd all call themselves comedians, but there's a ton of funny content online, right? It's... I mean, everybody... It, people find ways to be funny in three seconds and uh, two minutes. I mean, it's amazing. It's like everybody's a sketch comedy artist nowadays on on social media. Like, what do you think that says about the future of comedy? Like, there's clearly a different lane between stand-up comics and content creators, right? And people who are doing this stuff online, which, you know, maybe lead to the same place in different ways. I mean, opportunities and TVs and movies and things like that. But, like, how do you feel about social media content creators and that, that lane of comedy and and where that's taking the, com- the, the Every comedy the
1: comedy era and stand-up comedy has its portal its way in you know it used to be the late night talk shows back in the 60s and 70s and you know and then the 80s came and you had the comedy specials and things like that i had def comedy jam bt's comic view that was our portal and now this new portal it's social media. And a lot of the old heads, and especially in my generation, the generation before me, a lot of them don't they kind of look down on, you know, this new generation, which I embrace it. I'm like, look, that's this is their new portal. This is where comedy has gone. And you gotta respect it because that's a different skill in itself. To be able to what 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 these millennials and 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 people in my generation too are who are adapted or adopting it and adapting to the new system. And some of the, the generation of Y and all the other generations, the Xers and all that stuff, what, they're, what they are doing to me is, is incredible. To, to, to do a funny sketch, I don't care if it takes 300 takes or whatever to do it right. They're still creating their own opportunities, which is great. They've been able to, to, to find another way in. And I, and I think it's great. I, I'm still trying to figure it out. You know. So I applaud, I applaud these new generations uh, of comedians. And if you ever and Bob Sumner, I'm going to say that name, Bob Sumner, who booked every comedian you've ever seen on DEF Comedy JAM, basically, uh, calls them social medians. And if you ever hear that term anywhere else, it came from Bob Sumner. But but that's the correct term for him, social medians, because all of them don't do stand up. Some are just social medians. They are on social media doing comedy, doing, it's not stand up, but it's sketch comedy, or it's, it's whatever It's, it is. It's, confessionals, whatever, it's funny. I laugh at a lot of it. And I applaud it. I applaud it now, the ones who do cross over into stand-up. What my generation and before just wants you to do is get the reps in, get on stage. Get on stage and master the art of stand-up. Then you have the best of both worlds. Because a lot of these social medians are crossing over into stand-up, which is cool, come on. You know, I ain't mad at you. You're not taking any dates away from me. So come on, but, 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 but be true to the game and steady the craft and get those reps in on stage, even when you're not getting paid. Put the work in. Put the time in. Because what happens is every time I'm on stage, I feel like I'm carrying the torch for live stand-up comedy. So I'm trying to make sure my show is 1,000%. I'm going to go all in, balls to the wall, because I want the experience to be great. And Because you never know who's coming to a comedy show for the first time in their life. And I want to convert them into a regular stand-up audience, a live comedy audience. So they can come next week and see my man Tony Rock, or the next week and see Joe Toy, or the next week and see Miss Pretty Ricky, or the next week and see Carlos Miller, or DC Young, such an Entertainer, DL. I want you to keep coming to see live comedy. So what's happening is some of the social medias aren't ready for that stage. And someone and they're headlining and they're coming, someone's coming to a comedy show for the first time, and their first impression of live stand-up. It's somebody that ain't ready. Somebody's supposed to do 45 to 50 minutes to an hour. And after five or six minutes in, they shot, they load, they done. Now they got another 45 minutes of, of bullshit. And that's somebody's first impression of what live standup is. And that's not, that's not a good impression. So we just want them to get the reps in so that they can keep the club open for us when we come in and show them, you know, and that's why I try to, I try to talk to this young generation I'm on the road, man, a lot. I see a lot of young black talent out across the country, man, that I talk to, the black ones. I talk to the black comedians and, 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 and tell them what they're doing wrong if they're welcoming to it. Some of them are like, oh, you know, whatever, OG. This is, this is a new school. But the ones who embrace it, you know, DC Youngfly years ago was one of those young guys who used to ask questions. What's AOG? What's, what's the premise, OG? What's this, OG? And somebody like that who, who studies the game and want to learn the game, then you're like, okay. Okay, yeah, I, I got these jewels for you because Chris Rock and Joe Torrey and Martin Lawrence and, and TK Kirkland and Yvette Wilson and Adele Givens and Ricky Harris, they did it for me when I was coming up. So, you know, I have to pay it forward and I have to and I have to put them jewels out there. So jewels, so I'm gonna say and I'll make sure I pronounce my L's, jewels. <laughs> so so these young comedians so I can preserve the future of black stand-up comedy. I wanna do my part
0: that's appreciated cuz i i there is definitely you know this like i watch a lot of social medians, as you as 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 you, as you say and then i have gone to comedy shows where those same people are on stage and i'm always impressed by those who can transition from doing a 5 minute video that's hilarious that you can tell they put a work in and then but go stand on stage and perform and give you you know some real quality material and all that like i'm i'm always i'm always appreciative of that
1: my agent uh, Tamara Goins who's a comedy goddess of an innovative artist. You know, she said it's it's funny because they when they when the whole YouTube thing started, they they did some test runs with some YouTube comedians. And she said it's easy to take a comic and make them a YouTube star, but it's hard to take a YouTube star and make them a
2: comic.
0: All right, well, we're going to take a, one last break here, and then we're going to come back with two of my favorite segments here on Dear Culture, which is our Black Fashions and our Black mendations. Uh, we're still here with God, Tory. Stay tuned. All right, we're back here in Dear Culture with God, Tory, and we're going to do some of my favorite segments. But before we get that, I do have one last question for you. Um, as somebody who's been in the game for a long time, who's seen a lot, who's the, responsible for a lot of things happening, I'd be curious if you can give me, let's say, five of your top black comedy cultural moments.
1: I can do that. Uh, I had to start with Flip Wilson because he was one of the ones the first black co- comedians who had his sketch show. You know the Flip Wilson show, so that was very important and very right. impactful because it 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 showed the world that we can do sketch comedy as well as stand up comedy. And that era where, where he was doing it was groundbreaking, and that's what inspired Richard Pryor when he had his variety show, the Richard Pryor show, which of course went on to inspire you know In Living Color, Chappelle's Show, and all of that. So, uh, Flip Wilson, I would have to say, I was I would have to say Eddie Murphy, you know. What he did on Saturday Night Live, and you know, starting in stand-up, and then going to Saturday Night Live (SNL), you know, making that groundbreaking. Uh, he wasn't the first black to, to be on there, but what he did with it as a stand-up comic, you know, Garrett Morris was on there as well. who's also a stand-up, but Eddie Murphy took that to a whole nother level, and then he took comedy to a rock star level. Hey, going to He made stand-up comedy sexy, you know, in yes, arenas and big theaters with the leather on, and he made it he made it sexy. He made it, uh, you know, fashionable. So I say, just Eddie Murphy alone, and then transferring over into you know film, is just incredible. And then the producer and and it's it's just crazy. Def Comedy Jam, groundbreaking. It inspired, like I said earlier in this program. It was a Moses took a lot of brothers to the promised land. It, it, it took black comedy and put it in white people's living room because it was on HBO, if you remember. And a lot of black people didn't have cable. A lot of black areas didn't have cable television. So the ratings were high. Why? Because white people were watching. So it it gave you it, it took black comedy with Russell Simmons and Stan Latham and, and Bob Sumner and Sandy Wernick. What they did was was they, they, they put it right front and center in white living rooms. And, and and that was groundbreaking to me. Fat Tuesdays. I gotta I gotta, you know, give Fat Tuesdays that shout out because it, it brought the hood to Hollywood and it, ext- it was an extension of everything I named before. Cause we started doing sketches at Fat Tuesdays as well. Uh so so that that's from the Flip Wilson era and and you know, the Def Jam era. And then I gotta say the Kings of Comedy. Kings of Comedy took comedy to Back to that rock star level that Eddie Murphy had started. You know, I was the first host of the Kings of Comedy Tour. It was me, Cedric, Bernie, uh, Ced- uh and Steve Harvey, Bernie Mac, and his rest in peace. And uh I was I was young, I was doing comedy five years. I was more like the prince of the Kings of Comedy Tour. I wasn't a king, but uh it was just a great ride, and that was groundbreaking. You know, and I have to throw a couple of honorable honorable mentions. I know you said five. I gotta do Queens of Comedy, Queens of Comedy, Queens the Queens of Comedy. Showed that women are funny too. And they can and they can hold and sustain, you know, a tour on their own. So that was great. A sister will get the last word
2: on your ass, baby. We can be in a goddamn coma. We're gonna say our shit. He'd be like, bitch, don't you say nothing else? Mm-hmm.
1: And then I have to say um Comic View. You know, Comic View was Def Jam, but for the family.
2: Oh yeah. My girlfriend set me up with a man, she said he was a sugar daddy. Oh girl, he a sugar daddy, he a sugar daddy. Man didn't have no money, he was a sweet and low daddy.
1: <laughs> you know, you can sit down with your kids and watch these comedians, because it's, it's, it's wholesome entertainment. So right. comic you get um, honorable mention, which was inspired by Def Jam, and the Queens of Comedy, which was inspired by the Kings of Comedy. So those two are honorable mentions, but those are my top, if I had to say top seven, my top seven greatest moments, or uh, impactful moments in stand-up comedy. For me, in my humble
0: opinion, I just thought of this last question I'm going to ask you before we get into the other segments. Um, while you were talking, what's the thing that you're most proud of that you've been able to do in your career? Because you've been, you've seen so much, and you've been around for so long, and you've been a part of so much. Like, is there is there something that stands out above everything else that you're most proud of that you were able to accomplish through your career or through the things that you've done?
1: Thirty years I've been in this business. All the movies I've done, all the tours I've done, all the TV shows I've done, all the stand-up shows I've done, even Fat Tuesdays, and all the legendary people I've met in this business, the most thing I'm most happy about and glad I was able to do was my brother and I buy our parents a house. Was move them out of the hood and say, y'all need to retire. Joe and I are gonna buy you a house. And to be able to return that that gift uh, hands down beats anything in Hollywood has ever done for me. So people, if you're in that position to take care of your parents and say thank you, parents who never ask for a thing. My parents never ask for anything but just don't embarrass them and, and keep God first. That's the only two things they've ever asked us. That's a very right.
0: black thing for parents to say. Right. Don't embarrass me. But
1: but yeah, but that was it. So if you're able to be in that position to take care of your parents, man, it's the most fulfilling thing you've ever, you will ever do in your life.
0: All right. Well, we're coming to a close in this show, but we have two last segments that I want to ask you. We ask every guest that we have, and we're going to start with our black fashion, which is a confession about your blackness, typically something people wouldn't expect Some people don't, some black folks don't like chicken. Amazingly, a ton of people have not seen The Color Purple or Friday. It blows my mind, but do you have a black fashion?
1: I call it guys got a gripe. Guys got a gripe, black fashion, and it's with, we we cry about white privilege all the time. And yes, a lot of white people have white privilege, but we don't speak about black privilege. And my gripe is with black people about black privilege. Okay. Privilege. And black privilege is, because it's a black-owned business, you expect a free handout or a discount. Negro, please. It, just because you're black and I'm black, why should I have to give you a discount? Why can't you support the black business? Support it. We, we don't go out of business if we keep giving all the away for free, or I'm going to support you. In my comedy shows, I don't mind giving out free tickets. It's okay sometimes, but when you got the same people every time asking for free tickets, or I'm going to support you, I need four tickets, I'm supporting you. You you ain't paying for them tickets. I'm supporting you. I don't mind sometimes, but every time, if I offer that's one thing, if I offer something one thing, even if it's a a, a black business owner, a lot of times I get offered stuff for free, I say, no, 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 I want to pay. I want to support. Because you got to stay in business. I can afford to. God has blessed me with enough income to be able to support your black business. Now, I'm not going to go out and support every black business. No, because some of y'all suck. I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of your black businesses, you ain't doing business well. But if you're doing black business well, I'm going to support you. Period. But it can't, it got to be something I like. I'm not going to do it just because. But my, my, my problem is, my gripe is, my, my black fashion is, look, Support black people, man. Quit looking for a handout or a hookup because we both black. You know the struggle? Yeah, and I'm struggling probably because of your black ass. So guys got to gripe. Right. Support <laughs> each other. Quit looking for a goddamn handout.
0: Fair enough. I, I do the same thing. I have a friend who has a restaurant, and every time I go in, a good friend of mine, he's always like, I'm going to give you discounts. like, brother, I want to pay the full price because if I don't pay the full price, then you're going to go out of business, right? So stop giving people. I tell them all the time, stop giving people discounts. If we love you, we're going to pay it. Cause that's the price you put on the menu. Now, either, I, either I'm a paid or I'm just gonna show these up. Some black
1: businesses, to me, black restaurants. Some of y'all need to be giving your food away free. Cause some <laughs> that's mama recipe, but mama couldn't cook. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't get yourself in no trouble. We just talked about cancel culture. We just talked about it. <laughs> All right. Well, the last thing we're going to do is a black commendation, which is a recommendation about something uh, for Biden, about black people, black culture. Do you have a black commendation for people?
1: Air hip hop comedy. If you haven't seen it yet, you've got to see it. It's a part of history. It's a part of our culture. And not only that, though, it's just not some people have told me, man, I watched it three times. I've watched it two times. Man, I, I tell other people about it. And that's what we need to do, man, is, is start watching each other's projects and films and documentaries. But Fat Tuesdays, I recommend it highly, not just because I've done it, but some of your favorite comedians that you grew up on or you enjoy today are in this documentary. Is, is it, they're in this documentary. So it's on Amazon Prime. And when you watch it, make sure you rate it. If you liked it, then, then you know, then, then say you liked it. Three stars, four stars, five stars, thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever. But just go rate it, and and that's how it stays on the platform. It stays on Prime. And and so just watch it over and over again. Right. Promote it. Tell people about it. And tell me what you like about it. Follow me on Instagram, at GuyTory, G-U-Y-T-O-R-R-Y. And, and tell me what you thought about the documentary. Tell me what you think about this, this, this interview. And if you're in a city where I'm coming to, come to my show. Come see it live. All right? Come see it live. There's nothing like live stand-up comedy the Guy Tory Show is the best damn comedy show, period. And I'm the only comic that travels with a guarantee. When you come to the God Tory Comedy Show, if you don't have a good time, I'm always in the lobby after the show. Come up to me with your ticket stub and say, God, did not laugh. I will take you back to the box office myself, and I will show you the sign that says, no refund, get your ass out of here.
0: <laughs> and I can appreciate that, brother. I, I genuinely do. And, and... I got I have, I'm gonna echo what you said about the documentary like genuinely I enjoyed it I've watched it multiple times because I, I'm I'm a I'm a black history person and I love black storytelling hence dear culture hence being here at the Grio uh having a podcast that's about black culture like I genuinely enjoyed it and more people everybody needs to see it especially if you're into black comedy but even if you're not it's it's about blackness and it's about a black era it's about Black culture and everybody needs to take a look at this documentary. And stay tuned
1: for the book because there's so many rich stories that we didn't get to or had to cut out. And stay tuned for the Fat Tuesdays podcast. A lot of comedians you didn't hear from that want to be heard from. And we're going to address that. So the Fat Tuesday podcast coming soon and the Fat Tuesdays book coming soon.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you, Guy Tori, for taking some time out of your busy day to tell us about your documentary, give us your opinions about some things, give us a Black fashion, Black meditation, and for your contributions to the culture, like, genuinely, you're appreciated. Plus, like, like I said, you're part of one of my favorite movies of all time, <laughs> Tripping, that everybody also needs to see. You got quotables on quotables, so thank you so much for, for your time, for your gifts, for your contributions you, you are appreciated sir and before we get out of here i i have maisha kai here who is the host of riding black with maisha kai one of the other shows on the griot black podcast network one of my favorite people um you know we just got finished talking to guy tori noted comedian uh somebody who's been around forever kind of we talked about the past the present and the future of comedy and i know you recently had sam jay on your show who was a name on TV and comedy and everything. What was that like?
2: You know, I would definitely say Sam J is uh, really giving us an authentic glimpse at the the current state of comedy and I would say that she's the future. I really, uh, you know, she's, she's such a character. I think, you know, we're so used to seeing her be such a character. She's such a... Um, big presence on her show pause with sam j um if you've seen bust down um as well she's just like her her sense of humor is just i mean it's out of control um she actually you know i found her to be really transparent really grounded really really uh one of the things that was really cool about talking to her she was so introspective I mean, we always talk about you know obviously there's two sides of comedy always you know um these deep interior lives that really feed this uh This sense of humor. And she really gave us a lot of that. So it was a really cool conversation to have. By the way, you're one of my favorite people, too. So thank you for that.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. You have no idea how much that warms my heart.
2: (laughs) And speaking of
0: warm hearts, though, not at all. I know you also recently had uh, a, a... superstar from my world i'm a black movie not just yes, black movie, are. it's a movie cinema cinema sub-box. yes but i yes, specialize in in black cinema and and omar <laughs> epps you just recently <laughs> talked to is a superstar in that world by by all accounts so
2: what was that like yes i did and you know yes omar epps has been on our screens i mean you had guy tori this is you know been on our screens at least as long as Guy Tori, right? You know, we're talking Jews, we're talking The Wood, Love and Basketball, list goes on. You know, I was just watching him on uh, Power, Raising Kanan, uh last week. So, you know, he's he's doing the thing, but I did not know that he's also an author. I mean, or he is now. So, yeah, he's he's doing kind of this like Afrofuturist YA fantasy called Nubia. Um, that is, I, I mean, just, I, I really didn't expect this. It's kind of this multi-layered um, kind of utopian or dystopian fantasy, um, which, you know, is, is really something we're seeing a lot of these days. We're seeing so many people uh, walking in these footsteps that had been laid so long ago by like Octavia Butler and, you know, people like that. Um, you know, you've got N.K. Jemison, you've got, you know, just so many folks in this space right now doing really dope stuff and really kind of placing us in these landscapes that we have not traditionally seen ourselves.
3: We were at this book convention at um, the Jacob Javis Center. Um, and there were like hundreds of kids lined up, you know, on this one line. And I was like, well, what's that for? And they were like, oh, that's the young adult sci-fi. that I forget the author's name, forgive me, but they, they're they like huge in the space. And the people I was with were like explaining to me, like, you know, they're a rock star, these kids. And I was like blown away, like, wow, kids still read books. And so when I went to the hotel that night, it was the light bulb moment, you know, of Nubia The Awakening. I, I, like I said, it'd been sitting in my head and it was just something, a voice was tapping me on the shoulder and said, hey, it's time to um unearth this and, and, and figure it out because there is an audience for it and they they are rabid they're dedicated they're they're loyal you know i didn't i didn't know that you know in this particular form
2: so um that was exciting that was it was really it was really dope to talk to him he's a very very uh, thoughtful he has a lot of ideas You know, he's kind of like you. He got a lot of ideas. (laughs) And um, yeah, I I really I if if folks haven't tuned into that episode yet, I highly recommend it um, because you really get this total different perspective on Omar Epps.
0: I was going to ask you, but I guess we have to we need to tune into the episode to find out because I'm like, so he's writing YA books and and I mean,
2: yeah, he has a collaborator. Well, you know, it could be, it could be for all we know. I mean, you know, this is Omar Epps, so we could just see this come to the screen soon because um, that seemed to be the trend these days as well. A lot of a lot more books Back. making it to screen these days. Uh, you know, he didn't give me too much on that, but I do think that this is intended to be the first of many. Um, If he can kind of get this thing going. So, you know, exciting. I love, you know, I love a multifaceted talent. So (laughs) very cool to see that he's doing that. I'm sure you do as a
0: multifaceted talent yourself. I'm you know sure I you try.
2: can you can see that in other people,
0: <laughs> you know. So that's the he wrote a book about fatherhood, right? If I'm not mistaken. Now
2: he did. You're right. You're right. So okay. I guess you're right. He was already an author. He had written a memoir on fatherhood. Um, I think it was actually called "From Fatherless to Fatherhood," um, kind of chronicling his own experiences uh, growing up without his father in his life and how, you know, that is informed his entire life and now his life as a father Uh, so yes my bad on that yes he was already an author but we all know there's a world of difference between talking about your own world and creating a new world so I did not expect this turn from him I mean I would have expected like you know a true Hollywood story or you know something along those lines but this is dope I mean you know I think uh, I like to see more of this I love seeing us kind of stretch into these new I can't say it's new for us after futurism, we, you know, has been around as long as black folks have, but seeing us be visible in those spaces, I'm here for it.
0: I agree completely, completely. And I love that. I love that artists that you wouldn't typically see in these spaces showing up in new places and hopefully being successful and, you know, brilliant in those spaces as well. So that's really dope. Like I'm I'm looking forward to to checking out the episode and what, what he's got coming.
2: Yeah, I think the, the, the book is really a manifestation of a lot of like spiritual uh, beliefs that he holds. So um, again, if you are an Omar Epps fan, highly recommend the episode, highly recommend the book, because you will see a totally different side of this much beloved actor.
0: Where can the people find this episode with Omar Epps?
2: Now, you know where they can find it. They can find it where they can find all of our amazing podcast talents at the Griot on the Griot Black Podcast Network or anywhere else you find your podcast.
0: Absolutely. So that's Writing (laughs) Black with Maisha Kai, Uh, one of the wonderful podcasts that we have here on the Griot Black Podcast Network, along with my show, Dear Culture, Um, and the, the Griot Daily with Michael Harriet and a bunch of other poc acting up with Courtney wills. Like we have a bunch of podcasts here that are dope that, that I can't wait for everybody to fully experience because we're doing some amazing black work here. It's amazing work. That's very black. How about we put it that way? Um,
2: I, I think that's exactly how we should put it. So many podcasts, so many personalities.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you, Maisha, for sharing a little bit about what you have coming up a little bit about the conversation you have with Omar reps. You're much appreciated everybody listening is much appreciated thank you so much for for tuning in for sleepwalking with the kid for listening and hopefully enjoying um, to these podcasts we have here you know please send all criticisms suggestions uh, email scams uh, lottery scams anything that you have to podcast at thegriocom dear culture is a is an original podcast of the real black podcast network and is produced by Sasha Armstrong. It is edited by Cameron Blackwell, the logistic associate producer. I'm going to get that right. One of these days is Taji senior and Regina Griffin is our managing editor of the podcast. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for checking us out. Stay black.
2: The Grio Black Podcast Network is here. Everything you've been waiting for. Black culture amplified. Find your voice on the Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard.